grace, mercy, and peace from our Creator, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and our Sustainer, the Holy Spirit, to you and always. Amen. So this week, I had the pleasure of meeting the West Lafayette Mayor, John Dennis. I set up the meeting as part of our assignment, my assignment, from the Wabash Pastoral Leadership Program. The assignment of getting to know our civic leaders a little bit better. And as Carol, his administrative assistant, walked me into his office, he was meeting with one of his staff members. And when they finished, um, he turned his attention to me, and he shook my hand and said, Hi, I'm Mayor John Dennis, and I'm darn glad to meet you. He used another four-letter D word in there. <laughs> so my response was, I'm Pastor Randy Schrader, and I'm darn glad to meet you too. <laughs> Using the same word that he used. He looked at his assistant, Carol, and said, See, Carol, I'm already in big trouble. I already have this man of the cloth cussing along with me. And I just told him, when in Rome, the, the following conversation was meaningful and full of information about West Lafayette. He shared briefly about his past, the state of the city, and the hopes of the future. Now, every now and again, he would pause in his speaking due to his early onset of Alzheimer's. And from that discussion, I understood that the one strength, or one of the strengths, of leadership between the cities of West Lafayette and Lafayette, held by both mayors, is a unity in problem solving. They might not agree on everything, who does? But in his opinion, they found ways to be united when facing or when faced with issues of growth, safety for the whole community, and welfare for both cities. Now, I'm not advocating for either mayor. And after meeting Mayor Dennis, I know he's a very good politician, meaning he knows how to state his opinion or policy without trampling on anyone's ideology. Yet I also left with a feeling that Mayor Dennis has a heart that is genuine. The, the Wabash Pastoral Leadership Program has several questions to ask during these interviews, and two of them are, please finish this sentence. The most important thing that people know about this community is blank. And something that can help this community become stronger and better for everyone is blank. Any guesses what he might have said? You fire them out if you want. Put them on in the chat if you wish. Well, I thought for sure he would say something about having a great economy or a growing community, or something about the highly rated school system in Indiana, or we're home of Purdue, one of the best and top universities in the country. I, it, all that stuff is important. It's important to have a safe community and a strong economy and great education at all levels. Yet when I asked him to finish the sentence, he said, the most important thing for people to know about this community is we love you. And then when asked to finish the sentence, the next sentence, 
He said, something that can help this community become stronger and better for everyone is people to love us. Now you might be thinking, Pastor, you just got done telling us that he's a true politician. He gave you the answers that you wanted to hear. There could be some truth in that. But, I think that what he said was unifying on many levels. Whether you believe love originates from God or not, love for the other is what unites us. As I ponder his response, I also think the road ahead of, the, of Mayor Dennis could have him thinking about what truly matters in life. Whatever suffering Mayor Dennis has endured in the past, the battle with Alzheimer's will lead to more. And many of you with loved ones with the same disease have experienced it. You have endured through your own suffering within others' illnesses, within your own, the trying times of life in general. And you know you can sympathize with him and his family. Either way, his response about loving others and asking Others to love us shows unity, love, in the midst of suffering. In our Exodus reading, people have a legitimate complaint. They have no water, and they are suffering. They are dying from thirst and want Moses to do something about it. So the Israelites turn to their leader to correct their situation. Now, this makes sense. What doesn't make sense is the threat they give to Moses. As Moses goes to God with the issue, their need of water, Moses tells God, they're about to stone me. As humans, our tendency is to blame someone for the issues or the suffering in which we find ourselves. But here's the problem. If they had acted against Moses, if they would have stoned him, they still would have been without water and very, very thirsty. When we hurt, we sometimes want to blame someone for that suffering, especially when we can't stop the the suffering ourselves. But God is there, and God tells Moses what to do, as awkward as it seems to beat a stone with a stick, God provides water for them to drink. Now, the following is from our, the Kate Bowler's reflection that we're using for our um, Lenten season this year. The grand paradox is that a life of faith is not free of pain and suffering, but present also are joy, peace, and love. Our problems do not mean we are outside of God's love. They simply mean that we are human again today. Even if you do all the right things and work really, really hard, suffering is a painful part of everyone's story. Even Jesus suffered brokenness, grief, hunger, anxiousness, and pain, and still suffers alongside us today. The suffering aspect is not as obvious in today's gospel, but it's there. Jesus is at the well at around noon. 
and talks with the Samaritan woman. Though it's not given, there's a reason why the woman is at the well at noon in the scorching heat and not with the rest of the women who normally would gather their water in the morning when the climate is much cooler. Many have thought this woman was a woman of the evening since she had more than one husband and the man she lived with was not her husband. But I believe that's a rude assumption based on speculation from a patriarchal view. Others suggest maybe she was barren. Those in her village would have ostracized or even banished her. If this was the case, can you imagine the suffering, the abandonment she might have felt of something that was totally out of her control? Or maybe she was married and then her husband was killed or died. How lonely she must have felt with no one to care for her. Not that she wasn't capable, yet because she was relocated away from her initial family and left on her own to, t- to, f- to fend for herself in a male-controlled society. In the midst of this, the woman at the well encounters Jesus, who first puts himself in a vulnerable position, asking for help from her, from a Samaritan, a woman. But asks for help and then offers the words leading to living water. Water for the body as well as water for the soul. Literally and figuratively, figuratively, living water is what Jesus offers the woman as they speak to one another. Living water that offers acceptance, love, and unity. He meets her in her despair, in her suffering, naming her loss and sorrow. In John 4, 18 and 17, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. They continue in the dialogue. And Jesus proclaims that soon God will need, God will have no need of being worshipped on the mountain nor in Jerusalem. We can worship God everywhere. God is everywhere because God is spirit. And those who worship God will worship God in spirit and truth. It's the Holy Spirit that Jesus is referring to the breath of the Creator that moved over the waters in the beginning, the life-giving breath that the Creator breathed into the first humans, the Holy Spirit of God is all around us. Returning to Kate Bowler's reflection, when we are faced with suffering, we often react by fighting our way out finding someone to blame, overworking, solving our own problems, or burying our heads in the sand of denial. I'm fine. You're fine. We're all fine. Just grin and bear it. The truth is, God is with us in our suffering and our sorrows. The Spirit of God holds us. God's love unites us. The Roman text shows us that we have another option when faced with our suffering. We don't have to fight it or grin and bear it. Paul writes that we can boast in our suffering 
And a better way to translate boast in this text is the word confidence. We can have confidence in our suffering. But how? God has already endured unthinkable suffering by sitting beside Jesus, God's only Son, as He died on the cross. It is truly amazing that even Jesus did not pick the first two options. Jesus chose not to fight on His way to the cross or to destroy His enemies, though He had the power to. Instead, He said, put down the sword. Jesus didn't run away and take an easy way up to heaven riding on a cloud. Jesus instead chose to stay present to and to acknowledge the pain of being human and to have confidence that God loves him enough to not leave him alone in his suffering. It is in this love that we can suffer in hope. This isn't a hope based on facts or facts or medical technology or psychology. It is a hope found in the absurd love that God has for us. The love that can never leave us. It is the love, the living, the life-giving water. It is the love, the life giving water of the spirit of truth that transforms us into loving others. It offers us the existential courage to sit in the hospital room as our loved ones take their last breath. It is the courage to stay present through the sobbing and to hold a hand as the test results come through. It is the courage to call and check on someone during their first Easter holiday without their person. We are not exempt from suffering. But through the confidence in Christ's death and resurrection, we can hope. We can suffer in hope, offering one another the love and presence we have received from God. Blessed are those who suffer because they do not suffer alone. Thanks be to God. Amen.